you should be a monster. Because everyone says, well, you should be harmless. You don't want to be too aggressive. You don't want to be too assertive. You want to take a back seat. No. You should be a monster. And then you should learn how to control. 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 Thanks for joining us as we crack open another episode of the Undisclosed Agents podcast. Today on the podcast, we got a chance to sit down with Scott Baker. You may have heard Scott Baker's name on, oh, every single episode of the Undisclosed Agents podcast thus far. That's because Scott's a legend. He's been a mentor to all of us, and he's really had an impact on the fire service in his area. Scott spent 33 years with his department, retired as a battalion chief. And in this episode, we're going to dive into some of the stories that he's had along the way a lot of the changes he saw for good, bad, or for worse, and enjoying the ride while you can because you don't know what you got until it's gone. It was an awesome opportunity to sit down with one of my best friends and mentors, and we really had a good time. I hope everybody enjoys. Thanks. Hey, how's it going? We're here today with Scott Baker. If you've listened to the podcast before, we've mentioned his name pretty much on every single one of them. So uh, we wanted to bring him in and uh, let him speak about some stuff today. So Scott, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey that brought you here today, brother? Well, first of all, um, this is pretty cool shit. Um, when I got hired back in the fire service, there, there was no such thing as a podcast. And the knowledge and the information you can get from a podcast is, I, I'm actually envious. Like, I, I wish that, you know, we didn't have YouTube videos. We didn't have podcasts. We didn't have the internet, really, when I started. <laughs> That's how far back. Anyway, my journey started, um, actually, when I was a little kid. I was living uh, in my house. We had this fish aquarium at the bottom of our staircase. And uh, about 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, um, my, I heard my mom and dad screaming, the house is on fire. You know, I didn't know if it was a house across the street. I didn't know anything. The next thing I know, um, this larger than life, if you could sketch a picture of what you think a firefighter is, was this guy. That came up into my room, and he picked me up, and he took me to my sister's room and said, it's all going to be okay. Big burly mustache, big black jacket, you know, melted helmet, old school kind of shit. And at that time, I thought, that's the coolest thing ever. That, that's what I got to do for a living. So, so my fish aquarium caught on tank. It just caught the wall on fire. It was no big deal. Nobody was nobody was hurt in, the, in this, uh, this one, but... I kind of felt that that's what I wanted to do. However, I didn't really pursue that. I didn't, wasn't really like, I remember as a little kid, uh, emergency was a big deal. Johnny Roy, Roger Soto, you know, squad 51. Um, of course, I got, the, I got the helmet. I got the little fake air pack and the turnouts, and, and we'd run around the neighborhood and light our garbage cans on fire and put them out the garden hose. And that's kind of where I got the adrenaline of being a firefighter. You know, fast forward a little bit um Graduated from high school, wasn't the best student, was kind of the class clown. You don't say. The party kid. <laughs> uh, didn't really know what to do next. Uh, about six weeks after I graduated from high school, I one Sunday afternoon I got a phone call that um, my dad had passed away unexpectedly. And for me, that changed a lot of stuff. I Once I got through the tragedy of that and keeping my mother and my grandmother and my sister kind of propped up, 
realizing that shit, I'm the man of the family now. What, what am I going to do now? Um, university life, you know, I came from a middle class, lower middle class type family. I grew up, you know, pretty blessed with the mom and dad that gave me everything I needed. Um, but didn't have a lot of extra. You know, we had food on the table, you know, new clothes to wear to school, but didn't have, didn't travel a lot. Didn't have a real direction. I just knew that college at this point is going to be on me. And it was never consideration for me to go to university life and be a frat boy. Uh, I didn't enjoy school. Um, I didn't know what my path would be. And and after I kind of processed the death of my father, um, I realized that I need to step up and I need to become the man of the family. And my next door neighbor at the time was a firefighter for a local fire department. Uh, he was a good friend of mine, became a mentor of mine. I used to go water skiing. He taught me how to water ski when I was a little kid. And Jack Fleiner, shout out to you. He, I kind of talked to him about a path towards the fire service. And he said that there was a program with the county fire department, which he worked at, um, called an auxiliary program. It was kind of like a cadet. You were, you know, lack of a better term, you were kind of a cadet volunteer type. Um, you were able to get your firefighter one, which pretty much every fire department in the region at the time required a firefighter one to even apply an EMT and a firefighter one. So I kind of pursued that. I kind of felt like, well, I can grow up or I can become a firefighter. <laughs> you can't do both. You can't man. do both. You know that. Yeah. Did you get paid as an auxiliary? So uh, we got paid a little bit um, on incidents. Um, I actually started as a, a seasonal. I started that program first. Had no idea what uh, what I was getting myself into. I just knew that this is a path I wanted to take. I was hired with zero experience. I, I took a couple of fire science classes, did a ride along with the local fire department during some of these fire science classes at the community college. And I started literally a year, less than a year after my father passed away, would be just about 10 months later, started my first summer with a two-week academy. Again, I had no wildland. I had no real fire experience. Didn't know what exactly to expect. Uh, you know, I was young. I was cocky. Imagine that. Yeah, no way. And I walked into my very first day of the fire academy and realized this is a big boy sport. And I, I'm just a little fish. You know, there's sharks and there's minnows. And if you have to ask uh, which one you are, you're not a shark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ain't that the truth. Uh, I fell in love with it. I worked. I worked a summer. Um, got a lot of tough love. Uh, worked a second summer. Um, got, went through the auxiliary program. Got my firefighter one, which is similar to like a firefighter one program. Say at a, at a college, you know, we it had monthly trainings, weekly trainings. So we were required to do one right along. Um, I was a kid that always showed up. Always, like I got infected with it. Um, I was a kid that showed up at minimum night to help roll hose after. After a job, uh, we had beepers and pagers back then. Uh, we had a dump fire, um, pretty gnarly dump fire. I sat out for four nights because they didn't want to pay overtime, obviously, for firefighters. So, you know, I, I stepped up, I volunteered, and I just completely became infatuated with the job. I started testing everywhere, um, everywhere I could get my hands on, any opportunity I could take to advance my um my desire to become a professional firefighter I took. I remember when I worked for the county fire department, this is where I wanted to be. It was a county I grew up in. And at that time, the county had some pretty serious financial issues. 
and they weren't able to hire. So this little city next to us that I didn't know much about other than it was a city next to us was hiring, and I, I qualified with a firefighter one. I took the test, and Chief Coleman called me in May of 1990 and offered me a full-time job, and honestly, it may have been the happiest moment of my life, and that, that's where it all began. That's awesome, man. In May of 1990, I was five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, May May of 1990 would have made me uh, eight years old. So, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty good. Pretty good start there. How many years did you end up doing, Scott? So I did 32 years with my department. Just just about six weeks, actually, shy of 32 years. Um, got hired on. Um, we had a four week academy, and I think we were one of the first to increase that academy from a two-week academy to a four-week academy. Um, I realized super quick that, um, well, again, I came in kind of young, cocky. Here I am uh, as firefighter. In fact, how, how old were you when you got I out? was 21. 21. I was 21 years old when I got hired full-time. I was the youngest in the department at that time, not the youngest that was ever hired, but the youngest at that time. Um, my nickname became Baby Baker. That's right, baby. Yeah. It was just kind of odd, you know, you get on calls and, you know, a grown man goes, hey, baby, get me the bag. And <laughs> people thought other things on medical calls. Sure. Anyway, um, I honestly, I worked with some grown men. I worked with some alpha dogs, um, guys who have been mentioned on this podcast. Mitch Soul, for instance, who forever be my hero, um, taught me the job. Um, Mike Arkell, Jim Mesa, Larry Berg. I mean, these guys are old school firefighter ranks guys that were the masters of the job. And I felt, you know, I remember, you know, in my fire academy being a little cocky and, you know, my training officer at the time. Who was that? It was, uh, it was Captain Powell, Chief Powell, but at the time, Captain Powell. Shout out, Jim. Yeah. He looked right at me and, you know, he said a few choice words a few times, but told me to, uh, he basically told me like I, you know, you're still sitting, you're still sitting in your own shit. Your mom's fucking sip on your mom's nipple when I got fucking hired here. And I realized that uh, I was a scared little kid. You know, I was just a scared little kid in a big man's world. Didn't have a lot of male influence on the outside. And um, at that time, firefighters didn't get paid much when I got. In fact, I, I, I think I was we were the lowest paid firefighter in the region at the time I got hired, and it, it was around 20 grand a year. And in those Ooh. days, guys did it for the love of the job. They didn't do it to get rich. They didn't do it to feed their families. They did it for the love of the job. And that's why so many of them poured concrete or landscaped or roofed houses or framed. I mean, firefighters are the master of all trades. You needed new brakes. There was a mechanic there. Everybody had a job outside of the fire service. Um, and... You know, I started working with those guys, you know, laying concrete for them, you know, helping them stand up walls, learn how to read a tape measure, <laughs> an old art. Yeah. Yeah. Lost art there, right? A lost art. I, I definitely, um, I know what you're saying about being a kid walking into a man's sport because yeah. I, when I got picked up with our department, I was, I was 20 years old by about a week. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. So, uh, St. Carson High and you ain't the most popular kid in school. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, man. Um, it was it was it was eye opening. It was shocking, and uh, and even when I got picked up, everybody was working a second job still. There yeah. was side work to do every four day. So yep. 
I worked. I I started out my career with with a with some very strong personalities, and I, I I got a lot of tough love that I needed that I'd never knew at the time that I needed. But my probationary year was not kind. You question everything about yourself, about who you think you thought, how much of a man you thought you were. Yeah, it's not fun, but it's necessary. It's necessary. A lot of the time. Yeah, it's necessary. It's necessary. Anyway, you know, I I. I I completely fell in love with the job. I completely fell in love with all aspects of the job. I threw myself into it. I was going to TMCC at the time, um, pursuing a fire science degree. I had taken all my fire science classes and I had, you know, your humanitarians and history of art and literature and shit like that, that once I got the job, I was not interested in anymore. I fully took classes, any and all classes on the outside that I could possibly take any training Anything I'd possibly take, and I just wanted—I wanted to be the Mitchell. I wanted to be the Mike Arkell, and I never wanted the captains at the time in my organization were were tough as nails, and you just never wanted to disappoint them. You wanted to be prepared, technically competent, operational, and ready at all times. And I drove myself to that. And back in those days, you know, the holy the holy Bible of the fire service was just essentials, and that's what we trained off of. Today. There's so much. There's so much more opportunity to to have you grow as a firefighter and become better at what you do. Where the holy grail of the lift essentials was literally the battalion chief and the captain would have that manual in their hand, and you, and you trained off that book. And we have all, you know, if you're in the is, fire service, you all know that book. Yeah, it's so wild that that was so big. And he, you know, I obviously came in years after you, but uh, it was. Uh, we still had green books and that we, I remember going out to the training ground and, uh, our battalion chief at the time to, looking up the, if the, uh, job sheet for a forward lay, for, you yes. know, and that's what we'd do. That's, that's I, that's I what find we would do. it's bizarre with the whole IFSTA thing because we always shit on them now because there's so <laughs> much. It, whatever. Hey, IFSTA, it, we love you, man. If you want to sponsor the podcast, throw a little coin our way. Yeah, for sure. IFSTA, if you want to sponsor us, you can you can hit us up. We'll we'll stop talking shit. But until then, you guys are trash. Um, it's weird that we sit here in the era of information and what you're saying, how it's so much more accessible to have to uh, progress your career through information. Why has IFSTA not adapted the same way and just made their manual remain the gospel with great information and, and adapt and get these guys in to come right? That's an interesting question. I mean, sorry to interrupt you. It just no, came to mind. It, it is an interesting. And I, you know, we've all taught academies together. You know, I, I've taught academies. You guys taught academies. I've been guest instructors at your guys' academies. And, you know, you got to go through all the state stuff. So, you know, you got to get the PowerPoints and, you're scratching your head, going, "We don't do this shit anymore," <laughs> you know. But I guess yeah. it's it's you, it's you a tool for somewhere. the toolbox, and yeah. it, it, it is somewhere. I guess it's like medical school, where there's a book, there's a book way, and then there's a real life way. Yeah. There's a way to read a book, and then there's a way to operate on the street. Hundred percent. So, uh, Scott, you got in, you got through the academy. You're one of those guys who. I, I hate to use the term checked all the boxes. Yeah. Oh no, definitely a box check. <laughs> no, but you rose through the ranks. I guess that's the way to put it, right? I, I did. I rose through the ranks. I, I, I started off as a firefighter. I worked um obviously as a firefighter on an engine. We didn't have we didn't have trucks at the time, so I, I was never lucky enough to to ride a truck. Um you know, we had type three brush rigs, we had a cheesy crash fire rescue truck that was pretty much a bread truck converted. Um, we had some pretty shitty type 
three wildland. I can't even explain what they were. French, you you know, like yeah. can't remember what they were called. Not yeah, even the but yeah, they were old Brimonts. Like, Brimonts. Yeah. yeah, there you go. It's like a rocket scientist is to drive one and pump one, but. Anyway, I, I I I did work as a firefighter. Um, we had stick shift engines when I got hired. Um, that, that's a manual shifter, okay? Like you yeah, got six speed put manual. It in. The double, old band belts or double were clutch. You there before then, oh no, we had we had two crowns, crowns baby, oh, two yeah. crowns and two van pelts, which were pretty new. They're three or I think three years old when I come on. They were they were the cat's ass. They were they were five years old. Those were eighty five van pelts, man. They got built the year I was born, and I was lucky enough to ride first out on one. We had. I remember when I got hired. Uh, there was four people in my academy. Um, three of us put our full careers in. I think all three of us have a left a mark in our organization. Um, the fourth guy was a brand new paramedic. It's out of paramedic school. And he basically turned his badge in and said, this isn't for me. He recognized the fact this is not for me. But anyway, the three of us, we pretty much rose our ranks together. Um, As a firefighter, I was very in tune with my craft and I was very on point with what I had to do. I felt that you can't promote unless you, unless you master your own, your, your first trade first. And I, I felt that I put forth great effort. I didn't even start thinking about promoting until six, seven years in. Wasn't didn't even occur to me. Um, a lot of people that were my mentors and my seniors and, and firefighters I looked up, both men and women, were promoting up the ranks, and I was learning more and more. You know, Adrian Weintz was the first woman ever to be promoted in Carson Fire. When she made captain, she taught she's for me started the new era of training which is what we do today she thought outside we trained outside of the box it wasn't anymore just if says it was proper placement we didn't call it ves but basically ves type things that was all new to me and she was very innovative very very good leader and i learned a lot from her and from there she convinced me that it's your duty to start climbing this ladder. And and uh, I remember some of the older firefighters getting ready to retire used to tell me, like, they just want to ride backwards their whole time, but their bodies are beat down. I mean, these guys are in their late 40s, early 50s, and they're, they're walking like they're bull riders. I mean, they their bodies were beat down. And I decided to go ahead and, and start pursuing the driver-operator role and... I got my first promotion, Operator Baker. That's right. That's the that's the person I met, Operator Baker. I remember, I remember the first time meeting you. I was, uh, uh, I did a, I did a ride along, and <laughs> when I was a volunteer, and you were actually bumped up as the acting captain that day, and I I came in, and you guys were back in the rig into Station Fifty Two, and I stood next to uh, next to the engine there as it was backing in, and. You jumped out and I said, "Hey, sir, I'm here to do a, I'm here to do a ride along. I'm a volunteer, you know, Mike Horton. You just breezed right by me, man. Not, not <laughs> even a blink. <laughs> breezed right by me, walked inside. And I thought, oh, this will be fun. Yeah, I didn't really talk to volunteers in those yeah. days. <laughs> anyway, I did. I, I, I drove. I enjoyed it. I had some great captains. I had some challenging captains, and I got. About four or three or four years into it, I felt like I, I need something more. Like I, I've kind of, I need I need to be mentally challenged more. And 
pursued my fire officer, all that great, those great certs for fire officer, and started testing for captain. And next thing you know, I'm the designated adult running my own station. Yep, the grown up in the house. Um, worked quite a few years. I, I still feel to this day one of the probably the best times of my life was running my own house. Like I, I, like I loved every every position I rode in, in in the fire service, but there's just something about having a house and having your crew and, and it, them looking to you to set the tone. And you will, you go in as a captain. I remember my first day as a captain, I literally felt like it was my first day driving to work. And, you know, I, I had substantial time as an acting captain, but now it's, now I was it. And, you know, there, there's those aha moments in the fire service from every rank. And sometimes it takes guys a year. Sometimes it takes a few months. Sometimes it takes a couple of years. And then there's that one moment where the light goes on and you're like, oh, shit, I got this. I got this. Yeah, I, I, remember, I remember when you got promoted. I obviously remember you as a driver, too. I, I was a new guy. Um, got picked up with our department. And I had a little snafu early in my career and got moved to the Shark Tank. I got moved to 51C where you were the driver. Um, you were driving for Phil. Uh, there was a bunch of uh, great gentlemen on that crew. That uh, a couple of them have been on the podcast, but uh, I remember showing up my first day at Fifty One C. I'd got I had about two months on the job, and I walked in, and you were sitting at the captain's desk uh, doing something on the computer. So I walked into the captain's office, and I go. Uh, excuse me, sir. Again, my second meeting with <laughs> Operator Baker. Uh, excuse me, sir. Where where would you like me? Uh, where would you like me today, sir? Yeah, do I look like the fucking captain to you? <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, "Well, you're sitting at the captain's desk on the, on the one computer we have at the yeah. station." So yeah, I, yeah, I, I kind of assumed that, that. But uh, yeah, that was the moment that we decided you needed some tough love. And I got it. And you did get it. Yeah, you, know, you you may have had one of the most intense probationary periods of my career. I can put, mine was not fun, but I, I can only imagine what you were thinking at the time. Yeah, I was a cakewalk, man. Uh, the funny thing about that is we've had many conversations, you and I having a few beers about your probationary year. And I remember standing with you at your wedding, at your dad's house. Yeah. And somehow your probationary year came up and I said, yeah, but every one of us is at your wedding. Every one of us is invited to your every, wedding. Every, like, every dude on that crew. Every single one. Yeah. No, it was uh, it was awesome, man. I was I worked on that crew with you as a as a driver, and you were super influential on my development uh, as a fireman and and me as a man and just a human uh, for sure. It was not easy. Um, there were some some tough days for sure, but uh, I remember when you got promoted to captain, and uh, and I ended up working for you immediately on your first crew as a captain as well. So. Yeah, um, that was my top run. Promoting the captain was my top run. Um, it was, it was cl- truly the probably the best time of my my career, and I, I learned a lot about myself, and I learned a lot about what I need to work on. But r- really, you, you come into that position, and and you you never want to let your crew down. Meaning, one bad decision, then people get hurt. You know, people get hurt, and whether that be people we're serving or the people you're responsible for. And I remember reading through some policies right before my first day and just to brush up on a few things and realized, fuck, we're not, we're not prepared for a lot of this shit. 
I mean, we have policies in place. Our high rise policy was was something that out of the FDNY that didn't even reflect at all what we could do or what we should do with our staffing levels. Um, we had right before I got promoted, the whole OSHA law came in with a two in, two out, and then of course the fire service evolved into the RIT, RIC or RIT, and we had a policy for that with a bunch of acronyms and bullshit that you're having the worst moment of your life you're never going to remember yeah lunar baby lunars and you know switching channels and and i remember thinking i i want to be involved in changing the culture of this organization to save ourselves to to be better what we do but to save ourselves yeah first and foremost because we can't serve the public if if we can't serve ourselves and we can't serve our organization the the way that we're paid to do yeah and it, it it was pretty cowboy ish back then i mean it was we, very cowboy we had 40 hour bcs there was no command and control on scene middle of the night you get a fire it was basically like show up and everybody just go to work there's no real yeah what operator had the heaviest foot is gonna be first thing <laughs> yeah right so drastically different from the fire service that you left us with oh yeah yeah we we i mean we accidentally got lucky a lot on those fires. We were breaking windows out and cutting holes in roof just because it was cool. Not, nobody had a true a, a true direction of why we're doing this. The why of why we're doing this was not there. It was like, well, shit, you know, someone's already inside the house. We might as well go, go up on top of the house. That's what we do. Yeah, fans, foam, and fog nozzles. Yep. Get after it, baby. So, yeah, I mean, honestly... Man, where the fuck did 32 years go? Honestly, it's... Well, you had another promotion in there. I did have another promotion <laughs> in there. I did promote the battalion chief. And it, it was something I never... You know, I never said... I said I'd never get married again. I said I'd never be a chief, and I'm never going to date a chick with kids and retire the battalion chief with a wife and Man, three kids. Man, you, hat yeah. trick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Batting a thousand there, huh? Yep, hat trick, baby. Yeah, I. so when, when you got promoted to captain, I remember you... Um, I remember you coming in first day as a company officer and uh, it, something was different. I mean, you always acted as if when you were a driver and you acted up a few times and, and you were always sharp and on your game and never, you know, you took it serious. So it wasn't a big thing, but I could tell something was different that, that from that first day. And I remember we went out and trained our asses off from jump street. It was like, we're not going to come to work for one day and not do not get better at our craft. That was one of the things that really stood out to me um, working for you as a fireman is that we didn't, the, even on, you know, holidays and Saturdays, it wasn't just come in and kick your feet up. It was like, okay, we're here to work, get your head straight. Let's go train. Let's go do something and get better at what we do. You know, I, I used to drive to work early in my career and I kind of did it through my whole career. Um, I would go to work and I would think, what what, what can I do? to better myself today and what what can I do to better my organization today and I used to leave work thinking what did I do to better myself on that shift and what did I do to better my organization on that shift and if I didn't have those answers then I, I failed I did not do my job and I did not want to not do my job yeah absolutely that was one of those things so when I came in Scott you we had known each other because obviously Micah was working there and you know, we had known each other for quite some time before I got in the door. But when I got there, you you had already been promoted to captain. And when I got the 
opportunity to work for you, it was night and day, right? That was one of the things I had to make a transition to, especially with you and with Chris and with my brother. I, I was already friends with you guys, but now I came in and you're the leaders of this organization and you're the leaders of these houses. So when I came in and I got to work for you, it was apparent, like you were the boss, you were the leader. And you were definitely one of the guys in the beginning of my career that showed me about the importance of training and making sure we are on the training grounds every single day, making sure that you say you came to work and when you're driving to work, you were thinking, how can I make an impact on my people? How can I make an impact on my organization? It was apparent to me as a new guy that was working for you that that was, must have been what you were thinking about on the way to work. Because when I look back, I go, this was one of the guys who every day made me better. Every day made our organization better. Every day had a plan on how he was going to make it better. We had a ton of fun. I mean, <clears throat> I think, you know, there's a handful of guys, but you're one of those captains. We had so much fun. We had a little house. bit. <laughs> we had some fun. We had a ton of fun at the house all the time. And it was, you know, we were having a good time. But Tra Train hard, play hard. When the bell rang or when it was time to train, it was dead serious, right? And we made sure. And you didn't pull any punches. You weren't the kind of captain who said, oh, everybody did great. Here's the eighth place trophy. You know, you did really good. You were the guy who said, uh, that's bullshit. It, this does not look good. Here is what we're going to do to fix it. Do it like this and show them and then go through it. And that helped me excel. That's the kind of leader that I needed in my career. So that was cool that I came in. When you say you hit your stride and you hit your, that was your pinnacle and you were, that was the best time of your career. I'm glad that that's what I got to experience right out of the gate with you. Yeah, you lucked out, Jay. Because <laughs> I had to deal with all these stages, okay? You lucked out, man. Now, I I remember working for you, Scott, when you were a captain, and, and you, we, we've we had this conversation a million times, uh, sitting in bars and sitting in San Diego at trainings and stuff, just about being a company officer. And when I was prepping to, uh, first and foremost, when you become a company officer and you have a house, like it gives you some... It gives you some sway. Some You have a little juice, right? You do. You got some power. I mean, not a bunch because I remember you distinctly telling Chris and I, hey, guys, I'm going to get us down to 53. It's going to be me. It's going to be us three, man. We're doing it. Yeah, I got some clout. Yeah, yeah, I got some clout now. It's going to happen, which didn't happen for like two years. I don't think it ever, I don't know if it ever really happened. <laughs> but uh, but I remember you telling me how, how it changes. You You told me, you know. You're like, look, man, this is not a position about power or, or, or juice or pull with admin. This is a position about leading your men. And I remember you telling me the story about you driving to work your first day as a company officer. And I, I took that to heart, man. And I'm, I'm super happy that I had mentors like you and, uh, Jim Quillacy and, you know, other, other good company officers, Chris and I ended up working for you for a long right. time. All three of us together, we had a bunch of great jobs and, uh, if it weren't for the stuff that you taught me, I I don't think I ever would have passed the the officer's exam. You know, I, I truly feel it's the job. Like if I just can't explain it, like the fire service, it it either injects itself in your soul or it'll eat you up and spit you the fuck out. And we've seen those that it's ate them up and spit them out. And we see those who, Guys, I've been on this podcast, you two right here, sitting and the things you're doing for the fire service, you're leading the fire service forward. Okay. You're, you're leading from the front and you have to lead from the front. 
You know, when you're when you're an officer, whether you're a battalion chief or a captain or a lieutenant, it's not it's not leadership by committee. It's like you're it. You're it. Yeah, we we tend to see a little bit of leadership by committee uh, these days, which I, as everybody knows, I am not a fan of. I, there's a time and a place for that, but uh, yeah, there's time and place to be a team. But there's but the, every team needs a leader, that, and that's the thing. We're a team, but it, not every single decision needs to be made by committee. That's a good way. If to put you it, can yeah. be a successful leader of grown men, then you've done something in your life, whatever that is. Yeah, grown boy, men, grown women. Yeah, boy, if you, you can lead. <laughs> If you could lead and you have the respect because of your leadership model and, and the fact that you're competent in what you're doing and that you, you can admit your weaknesses, you can admit your team's weaknesses. You know, I, I've never left a job in my entire career from nozzleman to chucking a ladder to first in officer to incident commander. I've never, I can honestly tell you from the bottom of my heart, I've never left an incident and said I fucking nailed it. Like I learned... I'm my own risk critic. I numerous times had got tapes from dispatch to listen to myself on the radio just because I wasn't happy with some things I said on the radio. And I think that's important when you can recognize weaknesses in your organization, weaknesses, but you proactively make changes to, to not make those weaknesses anymore. Yeah, we, we talked with Pedrini about that uh, on the podcast as well, just about you know being your own worst critic. You, you were very... Um, I don't even want to say critical about that stuff, but I remember you teaching me that as well. Like, Hey, look, man, you can grow on every single job. You can grow on every single call, pick out the things you didn't do well, and then work on them. It's as simple as that. Right. And Jay, Jay talks about it all the time. It's, it's one of those things when you're trying to be a leader, you know, number one, you have to develop your followership. And when you develop, when you're developing your followership, it's not just blind followership. You don't just say, Oh yeah, this guy's the leader. I'm following him. You find character traits and attributes and people that make you want to follow them. And humility is one of the biggest ones. When you have the leader come in and say, I fucked up, I did not do that correctly. And this is what I am going to do to move forward and change and make this better. You look at them and nobody ever goes, huh, this guy said he fucked up. I'm out of here. Yeah, what a moron what a loser. Nobody ever says that they go, man, it, for whatever reason, that humility brings it around full circle, but you have to follow it up with change and you have to follow it up with bettering yourself. And it's a good point that you make. I pulled the tapes from dispatch. Who does that? Right. I think people who are concerned with bettering themselves would do that. When you pull a tape from dispatch, we've all recorded ourselves. Well, I'll tell you right now, maybe we haven't. If you want to be a better leader, record yourself giving a size up or pull the tapes from dispatch. Listen to yourself on the radio. When you're practicing for your company officer evaluation, it's one of the things that I harp on people. You need to record yourself. When you play it back, you will be disgusted <laughs> with the way that you oh, sound. Yeah, for sure, in the beginning, for sure. Disgusted. Yeah, especially and, when you're promoting. And you, if you want to sound, record yourself. And then when you push play, be the be your own evaluator. If you are evaluating this test, and you will fail yourself the first few times. 100%. You will fail yourself. You need to do that. And I think it's, it's, it's bitching to hear you say that, that those are the things you did. Once you had already attained the rank, you had already been promoted. You already passed the test. You already got the badge. So I'm already here, whatever, you know, oh, fuck that size up, up. No big deal. You just move on. No, you go pull the tapes and you better yourself every day. It's a huge deal for sure. I've always wanted to be and thought of myself as a student in the profession. And that's, a, that's just an ongoing, that's an ongoing goal to strive for. You can't just become a student in the profession. 
Yeah. When I, when I finally got promoted to company officer, um, I, I tested against a bunch of tough candidates, good, solid firemen. I mean, I tested against Chris Mason, Brad Mihalik, uh, just, I mean, just studs that I went into that test thinking I was underprepared. I didn't know if I was going to do as well as I did. Uh, ultimately came out number one by hook or crook, whatever. But, uh, it, it was attributed to the work that we put in. You, um, gave Chris and I the opportunity to put that kind of work in. And, uh, and I thank you for that, man. It's really, you guys awesome. owned it, man. I remember you testing. Yeah. You it, had to counsel me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you came in as our problem child, which yeah. was great. Uh, it was super, super fun. Thanks for that. But, uh, I remember right after I got promoted, um, and you'd already, you'd already harped on me about, Hey man, stay in the game, stay training, take classes, do this stuff. But right after I promoted, I got an opportunity from you to go to firehouse world and learn from some of the best out there in the game at a conference. And I hadn't had that opportunity yet. And it was, it was life-changing for me to go to my first conference with one of my mentors. And then I remember you walking me through like, Hey, these are the classes we're going to take. This is the stuff we're going to look at. And, uh, it, it was just, it was awesome. And these are the guys we're going to go to the bar with afterwards. You're going to listen to these guys shoot the shit a hundred percent. And, and again, we've talked about this on the podcast too, but it was so invaluable, so invaluable to do that. And then come in full circle when Jay got on his first conference, we ended up taking him down and doing the same thing. Yeah. I got the picture of it right there. That's one of my favorite pictures on the wall because it's me proby, right? I had to pay my own way. The department wouldn't pay my way because I was a new guy to that conference and Brian hunt, you, Chris Mason, and Micah, my, all captains at the time, right? All my favorite captains. I think Brian actually might have been driving still at the time, but it doesn't matter. All three of my mentors, my guys that taught me this job, and my brother, who's also one of my mentors who taught me the job, all took me to my first conference. It's like one of the coolest pictures I have. And we're sitting at the bar afterwards. That's the the Blind Burrow. Was that the yep, name of that the bar? Blind Burrow in San Diego. <clears throat> that's where I lost my phone. <laughs> I remember that. Nice. But that's the Blind Burrow in San Diego, and we're sitting around after talking about. You still have your lanyard on in that picture. We're talking about the classes that we took. We did. You know, talking about all the the job. It was one of the was one of the coolest memories I got for sure. You know, those conferences to me, I got way more out of than. I I mean I really really felt our department's deficient in these areas. And I took proactive measures with the help of other guys in the department, you, Micah, and a lot of sweet talking to some stubborn old training chiefs on, we got to change the policy and we, we got to get better at what we do. Cause we're not, we think we're good, but we're not, you know, as a matter of fact, um, I was a pretty new, pretty newly promoted battalion chief. And we had, I had a brand new captain. that was just promoted who, who this guy was, the very definition of a public servant. This guy, this guy went above and beyond. This guy was not lazy. He's a smart guy. Um, he he promoted to captain, I think, after close to twenty years of being a firefighter. And he, again, he exemplified what a true public servant was. This guy went above and beyond for the community. And it was like I think it was his first shift. It was a weekend, and I had planned we're going to go to this unique apartment complex in our town. And I had driven by it a few days and planned that we were going to do um, a little walk and talk and burn a thing down. And I had grabbed this new captain and I said, 
We're going to walk around this. Some very unique features. It's kind, it's kind of not. It's kind of tucked away where it's an apartment complex. You don't think of it. It had some unique clientele and some unique um, building construction features. And I told this captain that I would like for you when we kind of get through my spiels, can take about a half hour, 40 minutes of, of some discussion on building to come up with a v, VEIS plan. And again, this guy's super smart. This is not a dig on this guy at all. Um, he looked at me like my dog would look at me. And I said, is there a problem here? And he goes, I have no idea what you're talking about. He had no idea what VES was. And I thought that moment, holy fuck, how many other guys not? I, I yeah, mean, how- I know what it is because I'm a nerd. I mean, I study this shit. You know, we talked about this shit. We've trained with this shit. You know, my brother-in-law was first in on the on the Mizpah fire where he went right to VES, like first in old Reno Station 1 right across the street from the Mizpah Hotel where several people died in that fire. It was a, probably one of the biggest fires in the city of Reno's history. And and I remember just tugging on my brother-in-law's brain. He was first in captain. and Joe Dolan. How could, shout out Joe Dolan. You know, I, I want to know everything. What did you do? What did you see? How did you handle it? I mean, they, were, they had cherry pickers from the power company plucking people out of windows and, you know, cops climbing painter's ladders to rescue people. And it, it was, you know, I, I realized, for instance, we're not prepared for that. We need to get us prepared for that. So what did I do? I went to a conference and I took a VIS class. It was great. I went and had lunch with, asked the instructor to lunch and he gave me his program and... I think I came to a couple of the guys, you, you, Micah, yep. and pitched it to to you guys. We tweaked it a little bit to make it our own. And I remember when you brought that back, we, you and I went out to the training ground and ran it ourselves just yes. to make sure we were doing everything right and, and sticking with the curriculum and doing it the way that we could do it at our department. Right. RIT, our RIT policy was, and our Mayday policy was horrendous. It was horrendous. It was a paper policy. Oh yeah, it was bad. Fortunately, we got lucky and we never had to execute it, but you and I made it our life's mission to change, and we've evolved since then. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, we did a full blown <laughs> drill at 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 you know a large building in our town that was going to yeah, be demolished, and it humbled a lot of people's eyes. It humbled me on how poorly we were prepared. And if we can't be prepared in training, how are we can how are we can be prepared at two in the morning? Yeah. But since then, and you know. I, I'll say that I I catapulted a little bit and I pushed us in in those directions, but you guys took the ball and ran. And we are prepared today. You guys had a grab not too long ago that was textbook. Like textbook after, Jesse, I think it was you that put on a a training. Yeah, so we just had those guys on the podcast, and this episode will probably come out after. Well, I know it will. Yeah, we won't get into that. I'm just saying that. that, No, no, all I'm saying is you're right. Those guys made that grab, and I'm not – taken any credit for the amazing work that those two gentlemen did but we did put on a class for search two weeks prior to that happening and both of them commented that that training was fresh in their mind and it doesn't matter that if i put it on or joe blow put it on if anybody puts it on and that that is so important for a department you have to go through the paces of putting on trainings and taking your people out and failing on the training ground and then having the wherewithal and the poise to be able to 
correct those to say to a person, look, this is what I saw during this training as an evaluator. This is what I would like to see different in the future. And this is what I'd like you and your company to train on moving forward to make this better. And what those guys said was because of that, because of those trainings that were put on, the information was fresh and that's what we need. We don't need a certain individual to go out and do the training. We need the trainings to happen period. So the information is fresh in their minds. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I remember you coming to me. Uh, I was, I, I was, I don't know if, I think I'd just been promoted to battalion chief as well. Um, that story you told me about that guy saying, Hey, I don't know what VES is. I remember you coming to me and going, dude, we have failed these guys. We need to change this. And, uh, uh, it was, it was super eye opening for me too. And just to circle all the way back around now, there is not a guy on the job where we work that isn't super proficient it, at those was, skills. Yes, was a concept in our department before that, and we made it a oh, practice. Yeah. Now it's trained on religiously. You know, how did you guys feel about those conferences that we went to? It was they, hated them. Yeah, <laughs> they. We've talked about it a bunch of times on this podcast. It, they are the number one thing that I think departments should be. Well, let me change that. I wrote down a note here as we were talking and I wrote down training question mark. And then I wrote down, how should your department be spending your money? Because it made me think a lot lately. And I'm looking at the model that we're using in our department and I'm not happy with it. I'm just not happy with the way that we pick and choose. And I understand that we have a limited budget and I understand that we have constraints that we're trying to work within, but I love the model that Reno uses. Reno gives their guys, and I think it's a thousand bucks. I could be misquoting it, but gives their guys X amount of money. Each guy gets X amount of money to spend in a way that they see fit. Yes. They have to put in the proposal and, you know, get approved or not. You know, they can't spend it on something stupid, but if you have a guy who wants to go, to Wyoming to a conference or a guy who wants to go up to PDX and go to Portland for a conference or a guy who wants to go down to whatever training he wants to go to, send him, send him. We as a department get in these weird loops where we start deciding from wherever we decided from where we're going to send people and we start deciding what's best for everyone. Yeah. Like what, what you need, I'm going to pick what you need. Right. And I think if we give the ownership back to the employee and say, what do you need? Not you need this. What do you need? What what do you want? And then I trust you to bring back what we need. Absolutely. From that. There's always going to be that time where you have an employee who has a deficiency in some area, a documented deficiency that you as a department are going to take responsibility for fixing and you're going to allocate the funds necessary to train that person in that area. But for the majority, let a guy go to a training that he wants to go to and they will bring back the gold. Yeah. The just, gold. Just like Scott was saying, just like you were saying, man, uh, you wanted to go to everything and learn everything that you could because you were so infected by the fire service. It was such a part of who you are. And we need to allow that to happen. We need to allow guys to be cool, letting that happen to themselves. Right. Right. The cool, the cool thing, you know, when you're a leader, you don't have to be the smartest guy in the room either, or you're an instructor. You don't, you just, I mean, just cause I am doesn't mean, (laughs) but um, my point going circling back to the, these, these is I look at this picture that Jesse just described. There's five brothers up there, big fucking smiles on our face. Just learned a shitload. Guaranteed, we're talking fire smack. And now you two are, are there's five dudes 
five brothers standing around a bar because of you two, the shit they learned from you two, and that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, that is. That is. I'm, I don't haven't really wrapped my head around that. It's cool, you know, to go teach at these to teach at conferences and to do that. And I hope that guys are going to the bar and talking about it. And I hope that they're taking that stuff away because that's what the goal of all this is. Um, but well, they are, I promise you that I can tell you firsthand, they are talking about the shit you guys are teaching. And that's, that's props to you guys. And that warms my heart because you guys aren't only my super close buddies, but you know, I, I've seen you guys blossom to the fire service and both of you, Jesse, you came in a little later. You know, you should listen to me when you were chasing Dude. dogs, but <laughs> I know, um, Micah, the shit, you know, you became that stupid little fucking kid to, I admire you and you became a mentor to me. Like you guys, you guys are crushing it and I, I'm envious. I wish I could rewind, go back 10 years ago and, and, re, and do my last 10 years again. Yeah. I think we all do only from the way my body feels mostly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I got, I got to watch you guys suck and then I came in and did what you guys didn't just kidding. That's a joke. All right. <laughs> so Scott, you asked me the other day, we grabbed a beer and we were talking about this podcast and uh, you said, I want to, you know, I don't, I said, we want you to talk about three things that you're passionate about. That's what we always tell people. Give me three things you're passionate about. And you said, why don't you just ask me questions? Why don't we just talk? And I said, well, I guess you're the boss. You are, <laughs> you are Scott Baker. So yeah, I'll do a senior member. Yeah, I'll do it your way. So I wrote some stuff down and we've been talking about a couple of things and throwing some stuff out, but I'm going to ask you, we're going to throw a couple of questions at you and see if we can spark some conversation from a guy with 33 years in the seat. So talking about this, this kind of leads me into my first question. What, what was the most difficult challenges you faced in the fire service? And then what do you think are going to be the most difficult challenges Man. as we move forward as a fire service? You know, honestly, I got my own opinions of challenges, but re really it comes down to money. It comes down to money because, you know, we're just a piece of pie in the city. You know, whatever city you're from, whatever city you work for, you know, you, 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 especially if you are a general fun fire department, which most of us are. I know there's fire districts out there, but but you, you're a piece of the pie and there's only so much of the pie that you're going to get. So money is always, always going to be the biggest issue. Um, that's something that we can't necessarily control. Um, other challenges, um, you know, the fire service has changed and it stayed the same in a lot of ways. And, I kind of feel like some of the challenges of 10 years ago are starting to correct themselves. And that was a lack of engagement from the, the firefighter rank. And, you know, it seemed like for a long time, that was an entitlement coming in and people wanted to write a certain rig and thought they were entitled to write, to write a certain rig or to be with a certain crew or to work with their buddy on the on the box or whatever that might be and getting buy-in that we're none of us are bigger than the fire service none of us will ever be bigger than the fire service and the fire service is an unbelievable lifelong dream that I got to live you know I who who says I, they got to live their dream for 3 decades like truly got to live their dream I get to say that I literally got to live my dream for three decades. And I kind of think full circle is coming on 
guys who are starting to take ownership now. And some of that change, I think we started turning ambulances into more into fire rescues. We had air packs, we had a cans, we, we had irons, we had ticks. Um, they didn't just get put on writ and shoved at the front door and stand by. We put them to work. And I think it's a challenge. It's a challenging time with a newer generation though coming in. You know, they're kids. Some of these guys are kids and never worked a real job. And they don't know what they don't know. You know, I remember one of my last probies training, and I was trying to show him how to fill up a water can at two in the morning that we used. And he didn't even know how to use a compressor. <laughs> like, you take for granted the challenges that kids don't know how to use radios. They don't know how to use basic tools. And that's a challenge. Um, another big challenge is one of the best things ever have in the fire service and one of the worst things ever in the fire service is Wi-Fi and dorm doors. Yeah, ain't that the truth. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. <laughs> First guy with an iPhone. Dorm well, doors and, 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 and as valuable as they, as they are as a reference, they're also equally as toxic in a fire station because we don't sit around and watch movies together like we used to at, at two in the morning when you've just been getting your clock cleaned all night and... You know, how many old movies did Mason, you and I watch at three in the morning? Do you think that that, do you think that responsibility lies on the company officer? I mean, do you go as a guy, you know, I can't speak to it. I'm not a company officer. Do you go in and put your foot down and say, boys, get in the day room. We're watching Top Gun for the 400th yeah, I, time. I think it is. And I think downtime is important, um, especially, you know, we work at a busy department, you know, and we run a lot of calls and downtime is important. You can't just go, go, go all the time. But, um, when Diego got promoted, when Diego got promoted to captain, um, he wanted me to sit on his little, this is the way the mop's going to flop when captain Rambert was here. And one thing he did that I, I, I said, fuck, I should have done that is he said, okay, well, every set, we're all going to come here and watch one episode of, um, of, um, what was it, Tommy? It was a Tommy Gavin. Rescue me. Rescue me. Yep. And so I sat in there with them, and we all belly laughed over, over the rescue me, and the you know the, the firehouse scenes were not far off. Yeah, probably the most accurate as far as firehouse sure. stuff goes. Uh, Diego's actually carried that. Shout out Diego, dog, uh, has carried that through, um, and it's spread like wildfire. You'd be super proud of it, Scott, if you came back now because every shift. Every station is doing family time. So after, after dinner, it's not proby pop up and start doing the dishes. Everyone just pushes their plate forward, and we spend 15, 20 right. minutes just talking. Well, just you being, can do a whole podcast there. on the table. Oh, yeah. That's for sure. No doubt. I think one of the things you mentioned, you said in your day, you had a huge lack in firefighter engagement, and that was kind of a problem. We're definitely, I can speak for our department we are not seeing that in our department our firefighter engagement is through the roof and you haven't been gone that long so you know that yeah um our firefighter engagement is through the roof but i get what you're saying you know guys get this sense of entitlement and it you know i don't want to it's my engine day or it's my you know i don't want to be on the rescue with this guy or engine just, days were a day off and a day yeah. off from the rescue and that's it became in that you know i pushed hard on with my crew that that's not the case and you know it's not an equal yeah. rotationary. No. It is going to be 
if you want to be on the engine, you're going to earn it and you're going to own it when you're on it. I was just going to say that when I was working for you, if you wanted an engine day, you had to prove that you wanted an engine day on the training ground. And then you had to prove it on scene. And then you had to prove it in the station. And then if you were gifted an engine day, then you had to really earn your engine day. That is something that has changed. Um, I can tell you, I've, I watched and I've only been there almost seven years now, you know, I watched when I was brand new and I watched guys come up and stomp their feet. Literally. I watched a firefighter stomp their feet and say, it's my engine day. So-and-so is on the engine every set. And a captain not even turn from his computer and say, well, you should be better at your fucking job. Get out of my office. And it was, that was the way it was. Be, yep. be, be good. Earn it. Be better. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to go in and stamp your feet about your engine day, do it like I used to. Be smart about it and walk in when you know that that firefighter that's going to stamp his feet is standing right behind you and say, hey, Cap, where do you want me today? And then step aside and let him go in and stamp his feet. And then Captain Baker will look at him and you standing next to each other and get mad at that guy and let me have my engine day again. <laughs> <clears throat> Well, that uh, that brings me to my next question. I think it's a good transition to this one. So what are we doing right? What is the fire service doing right in your eyes? What do you see as as a success? What are we doing right? What should we continue to do? Wow. Um, a lot of things are going right right now, but I think the brotherhood has come back. And, dude, back in the day, you know, we we did everything together on duty off duty and we got away from that a little bit and i get it people have lives people have kids and but we didn't have i mean back in the day we had a fire department softball team and we had enough guys on every shift that could you know the two shifts that were off would fill a softball team and and we go eat have pizza and beer after after a softball game and we did numerous camping trips where, hey, we're going to be out camping. You know, some guys would be out for 10 days. Some guys just come out for a night. And and we kind of got away from that. And I think that's starting to come back. I think the brotherhood, I see the brotherhood starting to come back a little bit. But I really think what's progressing forward is the progression of, of te- our technical competence these days. Like we, are the, our training, I'm very impressed with the, with the level of, of training that, that, that is being done today. Um, the lack of time that we can contribute to training based upon call volume and, you know, shuttling shit down in the city yard to get fixed and all the other <laughs> crap that, that, you know, has to do guys are getting in the gym and staying in shape and guys are taking their training serious. And even before I retired, I mean, I would walk by at nine o'clock at night and hear the kids, what I used to call them the kids in the, in the, in the medic room, giggle and shit, but they were pulling up YouTube videos of fires. And I was extremely impressed by that. Extremely impressed by guys that knew that they were young and, you know, the Michael Coxes, the Justin Clemens, you know, that, that knew that they didn't have the most experience at that time. And they were asking questions, coming into my office, asking me, Hey man, we're just talking about this apartment fire. And what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? You know? And I was like, Holy shit, that that's awesome, man. Like, you yeah. know, back in my day, we never really talked tactics and strategy with battalion chief. You know, we talked about policies and and you get your you get your, your fucking reports done and and you know what we're doing right is 
the BCs are now, which, you know, I won't pat myself on the back, but I think I definitely push that forward. The BCs are I'll, now engaged. I'll pat you on the back. They're fucking engaged, Dan. They're not just showing up. They're they're involved. And, you know, we have an important job, too. You know, we're, we're, get, we're making quick decisions on limited information. And if we can't see what these guys are out training on and what they lack and what they're doing good, then how, how are we going to be efficient incident commanders? We talked about this in, uh, in our training where we've seen the assignment culture change for search, right? So we, we're talking about how our department was back in the day. Uh, we kind of were... We were a probie training for a while. We were probies. So that's what we did. Well, as far as training went, but on assignments, on jobs, you know, search was not a priority. No. Search was not a priority. It didn't get assigned very quickly. But when you got the battalion chief job, and then Micah got the battalion chief job, and then Padrini, and then Chris, like we have literally brought in the heaviest hitters in the department tactically to now be the incident commanders. And this is not a knock at Weez or Danon or any of the guys that came before you in the battalion chief seat, but it wasn't that way. Okay. It was not that way. Yeah, we the, have seen a change the in the host team. Way. Hey, if you have a chance, go go see if anybody's in there. You know, when you're when you're yeah, trying a, to stretch the line and, hey, and make after a push. the fire's knocked down, when you guys yeah. are doing overhaul, make sure there's no dead bodies in there. Yeah, hundred percent. If you think about it, you know what, what? When I made BC and even before that, you know, as captain, I you know I signed rescue guys search all the time as a captain, and they would like seriously me. <laughs> Who me? My <laughs> very, me? You know, my very first but, fire. But, I'll never forget it. I was come was in District Fifty Three off yeah, racetrack. Remember that. We just yep, talked about I remember it. That. I'm coming over the hill, dropping in. I'm on the rescue with Craig Cook, dog, and you come over the radio and go, "Who's next? Who's going to be next?" Do and I came on the radio and said, "It's going to be us, Rescue Fifty One, Cap." You said Jess, and you said my first name. You said Jess. I need to search as soon as you get here. So copy right as I'm turning on Bigelow. So I'm still a block away and I already had my assignment, knew what it was. You addressed me by my first name, which made me like, it got me ramped, but it was a good example of how that culture started to change. <laughs> to, with you. to touch on that same exact fire. I was still riding the rig. I was a, a company officer out of 52 and, uh, I was coming into that fire and you assigned us to writ from a block out. And that used to be the kiss of death. Like, but from the work that you and I had both done with, uh, written Rick work and firefighter survival stuff, when you gave me that, uh, assignment on that fire, I was stoked. I was like, yes. And I know, you know, we've talked about it. You knew that I was the one yeah. coming in yeah. on that and you went, who, who's best suited to fill this role. Right. It just so happened to be in a house that my buddy, Adam Cox used to live in shout out Cox. Uh, Adam's barbershop, go get your hair fixed up. Uh, so I knew that house inside and out. I mean, I, I hung out in that house in high school. So it was like when we got on scene for writ, Jesse was just about to make the door after Jim white and those guys, uh, stretched the line. And, uh, I was spinning a lap and I remember Jesse looked back at me as I was walking up and I gave him the head nod and he smiled and then busted in there. So, uh, it was, it was cool that yeah. you were so engaged and knew your people that well to make the appropriate assignments. You know, the United States of America, we got the best fire codes in the world and we're still losing what? 2000, 2500 Americans a year in fatal fires. Why, why is that? Why yeah. is that? Yeah. I think the latest it's, numbers are almost closer to 3000. I mean, why are civilians? we losing civilians? We have the best technology 
firefighting wise, building code wise in the planet. And we're still because of we're still po- killing Americans because of poor policies, it's because of poor policies. Yeah, I, I, you know, I can't agree with that. more. We can't solve it all. We can't get to zero. But, uh, you know, even if if that twenty five hundred gets to twenty three hundred, that's, you know, a couple hundred people that, that get to live another day. Absolutely. And, that's, and, and really, that's what our job's about. Right. We are you know, here for them. I always said, you know, I always taught in the academy, like who, who here feels who here feels like firefighter safety is the number one priority on a fire scene? Yep. Like, who, raise your hand. <laughs> and if you raise it, get the fuck out of here. Because <laughs> yep. you're doing the wrong job, man. Because entering a burning building is not safe. Yeah. It says it right on the tag. It says it right there. Ray McCormick. Yeah. It's, uh, that's one of the big changes that you pushed from the day that I, the day that I walked into the fire service, whenever you were in charge, that was one of the big things that you pushed is that we are not number one, get that out of your head. You rose your right hand. You said, I want to come here and save lives. You didn't say, I want to come here and save my own life. Yeah. You said you want to come here and save civilian lives. And if we're trained well, then we, we should know what we're doing in order to avoid us. You know, my worst fear was ever, having to deal with you know a mayday oh uh, it's all or or not a mayday is one of us that's gone down and it's like you know you can you can go through that yeah when do you when you stop operations when do you say no more it's going we're done when do you stand in front of the door and say you're not going fortunately for me that, that that never came but you know god i planned for it every fucking fire I expected a mayday. I expected a, a victim trap. Every single fire, I was prepared for it. In the back of my mind, I'm like, I, I'm going to get a mayday. That's what I'm going to do because I didn't want to chase my tail. Nope. Expect fire. Expect victims. If you're an incident commander, expect maydays. Add yep. it to your list. So I got a question for you, Scott. If you're king for a day, okay, what change would you make in the fire service immediately? And how would you accomplish it? You got it? a magic wand. Poof done and then i want poof it's done i changed it but then let's talk of realistic how would you accomplish that goal you know again it all comes back to money man and i guess you know like load up the coffers because to you could make whether you're a big metropolitan city or you're a small department if you had the money you could make the most unbelievable fire department in the history of mankind but that's not realistic um I, you know, if I was king for one day, I, I think that training, I, you know, we, we just beat the shit out of training. I mean, we just all beat the shit out of training, but training has to be taken serious. And I think we spend time training on shit that's unrealistic and we could better be served. I mean, we all know that EMS is a big part of our job. And I'm not saying that we should just continue EMS training or CMEs, but. You know, we spend a lot of fucking time doing stupid shit or a doctor will come in and talk to us about x-rays or something that has nothing to do with our job. Were you at work last month? No, I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't, actually. We literally just did that class. You know, that's all. It's form of information. <laughs> it's some form of information. But, you know, if I was king for a day, I'd say, look, you know, make these guys better on the street. But, you know. The firefighter part of of truly understanding the job, understanding full path, understanding building construction, and execution on that knowledge to me is, and and having the resources to do it, you know. Another engine needs to be put on the street. Yeah, it, was, it, it needs was, to be put on the street in our town, and some you know some departments, some departments you know have 
more engines that we have in backup and frontline combined in trucks show up to a house fire, you know, we're an aggressive fire department. We do a great job, but, you know, fuck, we've dodged some bullets. We haven't had multiple working jobs going at the same time, and it's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time till we're stretched too thin and somebody gets hurt. My my, I think it was my second or third set as a full time BC. I popped a structure fire in a strip mall, little uh, um, restaurant. Had left some rags on the flat top, so not like a you know it wasn't like a real big deal fire, but it's a fire. It's pumping smoke. We got all the units there, start working. Right after. Uh, the first two engine made the threshold. Chris was the captain on it. They made the threshold, popped a structure fire in the south end of town. And I had to literally stand at the back of my buggy and grab company officers that were doing stuff on that fire at that moment and grab them and go, no, you two are coming with me. We're going down south for this fire. And then call Chris on the radio and go, you're alone. It's yep, yours, you man. It. Figure it out. And just to clarify for everybody listening to this, doesn't know where we work. Uh, one one alarm we're done we dumped the city yeah we dumped the city yeah if three I, suppression you know rooms, uh, three ambulances done if I, if I if i had my magic wand i'd put on two more houses yeah two, dual yeah, houses. again that comes down to money you know 100 percent. i i figured that you would say that we wouldn't shuttle trailers to fleet anymore yeah, there you go <laughs> you know uh, that thing to do i and i believe this and this is no put down on any i, I worked for a lot of fire chiefs i've worked for a lot of deputy fire chiefs and battalion chiefs you know, I never wanted to be, my goal is never to take a chief job. I actually semi turned down, kind of turned down the job and not completely closing the door on it. I remember I was going to Mexico and the chief wanted to meet in the office and we came to terms and I took the job and it was the best decision I ever made. Um, I remember that because I was in but, San Diego but, but I on wanted, the phone with you. Yeah, I, I literally... Again, this is no this is no put down on, on any former chiefs, but I felt the position needed to be transformed into the kind of I want to be the kind of battalion chief that I yearned to have when I was a company officer, and that and that you know I all had good qualities about my comp, my my battalion chiefs, and I all had, but what I didn't engage with them is with daily tactical training stuff like that. So I guess one thing that not so monetary that if I was king for one day is labor labor relations. I think I I, I would concentrate on when you're the king, you got to worry about the kingdom and not worry about what the lions are doing and what the elephants are doing, what the cheetahs are doing. Let let the let the bosses of those worry about it. So I, I think you got to worry about the kingdom and 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 have a harmonious labor relations. And not everything can be harmonious, but I think there's a lot of thing that in the kingdom that can happen that could make things more harmonious. Yeah. I, I, one of the things I think about a lot is I would, I would give power to the people to make decisions. The guys that I've put in positions to make decisions, I would let them make them. Yeah. If you're going to, if you're going to have a book that says your ship, then let <laughs> then then drive the ship. Let, let that person drive the ship. And you know, everybody has a boss. Everybody has a boss. Everybody has someone to answer to. So again, that's no, no critique on anyone's part, but you know, and that's got to be fire hard to chiefs do. sometimes get lost in in what they're told to do from their superiors, and you know, and it trickles down sometimes. And you know, as a battalion chief, want to know the why sometimes. Why why are we doing this? Like, give me a reason why I'm pitching this. Yeah. Well, again, I I will say as far as you becoming a BC, 
it was literally a game changer for our organization and now becoming a game changer, I believe, for our region. And I'm hoping that it continues to spread because the department to the south of us has recently gone through some BC swaps over the last few years, and they're taking exactly what you put into play. Look, I'm here for the men, and I'm going to make sure that I'm the BC that I wanted when I was a fireman. Right. So you spearheaded that, man, and it's it's starting to spread, and it's awesome. <clears throat> I like what you said about the CMEs and changing that up, and I, I want to be clear to people listening to this. I am not taking a shot at AMS. <laughs> We're going to do a whole episode on what I really think about this. But it's it's always been crazy to me that we will literally put on multiple two-hour trainings a month for – EMS, and then we have to like beg and plead and scrap and fight to put on a two hour training for fire once a quarter. Like, it's no joke. Like, we do not put on trainings very often for fire. And we, this is a prime opportunity. You go around, you grab all these engaged guys because we have all these engaged guys, and you grab your whoever. You know, you grab your your Rob Ardinger and you say, "Look, bud, you're you've been engaged, you've been working on stuff. Like, what's what's hip to you right now? What are you digging on? Cool. We want you to do a class, a two hour class on this in May. You know, and give Absolutely. some responsibility to one of your firefighters. Give them some, make them get some buy in, and then get up in front of everybody and deliver some great information. Of course, you're going to pick your heavy hitters and your guys who are your, your training cadre, and they're going to come in and do some classes. But what a great opportunity!" to get some engagement from your your crop and get these guys in there. What are they doing the whole time leading up to this? Because they're about to get in front of the people who are the most critical of them or the guys sitting around your table, right? You're never a prophet in your own land. So they're going to be doing some extensive research into these training programs that they're going to deliver to their team and then come up and, and give a class. I mean, what an opportunity for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And we who, who goes to CMEs? Everybody, it's mandatory. You have to go to CMEs. Everyone in the whole department has to come to the same place and go to the CME, which we bring outside instructors in for who we pay, who, you know, all this stuff. But we can't bring the whole department to a different location and do a multi-company drill with instructors that we maybe bring in from other departments near us or other training companies or things like that and do the same exact thing for fire. It's it's crazy to me. It's insanity. It's one of those tough things. So. All right, I got another one I wrote down here. I think you might give it to me. I think this one might be good for you. So I wrote down, and this is the way I wrote it because I thought it was neato. I fancy myself as a writer. (laughs) Nobody wants to see how it's made, but they all want to have a hot dog at the barbecue. Tell us a dirty secret about the public service industry, about the fire service. Tell us something the public doesn't realize that's needed, caused by, or creates some sort of collateral damage from providing this essential public service? You know, we're looked upon mostly by the public as heroes. I mean, little kids look up to us. People, you know, we're in the grocery stores, restaurants. People thank us for our service all the time. Um, then, and, and you get the, you know, where you guys eat ice cream all day. You guys, you know, sit in your recliners and watch football or baseball all day. You know, what the public doesn't see is what this job does to you. And what it does to you physically, mentally, and emotionally, you know, that they think we're overpaid. Um, 
you know, when again, when I first got when I, when I first got hired a long time ago, you know, we're, you know, with the overtime and stuff, we're making thirty thousand dollars a year, but you could buy a house for ninety thousand dollars. You know, today, you know, to get a, a decent house, it's half a million dollars, and our salaries have gone up what sixty, seventy grand for a firefighter. You know, the. the the, the fallacy that we make all this money is is ridiculous or, or get all these benefits. We, you know, I've often said what made, you know, I'm not great at a lot of things. But I think I was pretty good at my job, but it always hasn't made me a good person. It hasn't, I haven't, I've put my family and my friends and my personal life on a back burner for my career and for my job and for the love of the fire service. Um, and, you know, I, I've had to repair some fences since I've retired, you know, with with my, with my, my family, my mom, you know, my wife, my stepkids, you know, they, they, this is not a fire station, you know. Uh, it's the fallacy is that the, we just that we just ride on fire trucks, and you know, we the city buys us these dinners we're buying at the grocery, they're getting at the grocery store, and, and then we just sit around and, and sleep all night, and and they don't understand what it's like to, to see and do what we do, and the humans are not meant to see and do what we do. You know, um, Mike and I have talked about this. I think the key to this job is how you perform when you're, it's how you perform when you're uncomfortable. Like you, anybody can do anything if they're shown how to do it, but how do you do it when you're uncomfortable? How do you do it at two in the morning? How do you do it when kids are dead? Cars are, you know, cutting people out of cars when the kids are dead. How, how do you yank some little kid and look at their mom and say that little Jimmy or Johnny's not coming home? Like we are not wired for that, but somehow we're wired for it when you're in this job, and you know, it takes a wear and tear on you. You know, I'm shortly after I retired, um, one of my daughter's friends from school was in a tragic car wreck and, and was killed just right after you know, it was either right before or right after graduation. I can't remember, and and he was a big baseball stud for the for the high school, and and I remember Abby they they had a like a visual kind of memorial service at the football at the baseball field and I, my wife and my daughter were going and and abby asked me well are, are you not coming and i said i i can't abby i can't go like i've suppressed this shit down so hard that it's pushed down so fucking hard that that i'm gonna sit in that because I, di- I didn't know the kid but i'm gonna every kid i yanked out of a car every kid i saw dead it's gonna like i'm gonna see their face again so yeah i'm I, not I, opening the floodgates I, yeah i'm gonna stand down on this one this is not healthy for me to go to this one, you know, it, and yeah, I mean, the public doesn't truly know it. You know, I, we, we did, we did the fire ops one-on-one, which we, it was day in life of a fireman over a, what, six hour period. And, um, the mayor was a city council person at the time and, and a couple other city council that I had the privilege of, of taking into a burning building, our burn building. And, the look on her eye, the wide eyes, and 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 you know we sent through different scenarios: a little wildland, a extrication, a structure fire, and a cardiac arrest. And we did it specifically ran well over lunch, so they could feel what it's like to be hungry and tired. Yeah, lunch it, it's not yeah. at noon. Yeah, we were kind of said you know lunch going to be at noon, and you know they didn't get done to about two thirty, and they were hungry, and it was kind of done on purpose, but. To this day, you know, I ran into the mayor and I ran into the city council and it's like, I, I, I can't believe what you guys do. I just can't believe what you guys do. I, I just had no idea. I just had no idea. And I'm like, 
you guys do this for three hours. <laughs> like we do this day in and day out. <laughs> yeah. You know, we do it on, in extreme cold, you know, the coldest days of the year. We did the hottest days, you know, at 105 degrees outside and you're trying to vent, you're trying to vent a house in full turnouts, you know, or you're inside of a burning building or you're trying to cut somebody out. And it, it, like the toll it takes on you personally, you know, I think we all handle it pretty well. Others haven't handled it so well. There's some mental illness challenges that I don't even get into, but I think the public doesn't doesn't truly understand it. You know, just like we don't understand maybe what a brain surgeon does other than they operate on brains. Yeah, they cut up gray matter. So, yeah, I mean, 32 years, you know. Um, I, it's funny, I, I have these tattoos on my arm. I got nearly a full sleeve. It, a lot of guys give me shit about them. I got... All my shields. I was a 64th firefighter in my history of my of my organization. I was a 40 the 41st operator. I was the 33rd captain and the 22nd operator. And I put all my shields on my arm. And I didn't do that for ego. They all have a story. They all have scars behind it. They all have some some blood, sweat, and tears behind those those shields and behind those tattoos. And it, they were for me to signify my career and signify. All that I saw that I didn't want to see, and all that I endured, and then all the brotherhood that became of it, and it and is hard with sometimes. It was the best time of my life. It was the best time of my life. Well, on that note, how's the transition been? Well, you know, my very last shift, I did a live fire training for my crew, which. I enjoyed my last day as much as my first day. And it was just, I felt like I had a lot in me, but 32 years, I, it was, it was, it was time to pass the torch. It was time to go on. I had some friends that, um, several firefighters, but a couple non-firefighters that suddenly just healthy as I am, just suddenly died, gone to their funerals. You know, Dan Tilsey riding a mountain bike dead heart attack guy was in great shape chris mason type shape you know randy cook a mentor of mine a couple of years after he retired dropped dead of a brain aneurysm i mean i can go on and on and on we just lost some a, a couple of guys to some diseases I, it was my time to go and my time and it was perfect timing for me i had the years i had the time i had my brothers in place to to succeed succeed me you know i wanted it's important for me to hand my badge off to someone I respected, Chris Mason. And Sam Saunders was in line to get the captain's badge, and Peterson was in line to get an operator's badge, and it was just my time to go. And, you know, there, there's roughly, what, 320 million people in this country, and only a million of us, only a million of us are blessed enough to be called professional firefighters. And after leaving, I'll never, I can't even explain to you um, when I walked out the door at 8 a.m., let me back up. I, I had I had the storybook ending. I mean, it was a movie. It was a scene from a movie. Um, we did a live fire. I had a bunch of retirees and people from the city that came and, and wished me luck. And guys that retired 15, 20 years ago that came to the firehouse didn't get an ounce of sleep that night. I signed off my last shift report and... 30, 40 guys, off-duty guys showed up for my last morning. It was it was St. Patrick's Day. Storybook moment. Like, it it was all I could do to keep it together, honestly. It was all I could do. And they did, you know, my tones, my last tones. And I'll remember the feeling of walking out of that fire station the last time. It's like, fuck, I'm never going to do this again. 
I could go teach, I can go consult, but I'm never going to write a rig again. And honestly, what's more bitching than fucking putting a code on with your organization's name and then your last name under it? And that's just... Nothing in, nothing in my life, man. Nothing, man. There's just nothing more bitching than that. I don't know, maybe, maybe strapping into a fighter pilot role, but I don't yeah. even know about that. I mean... I got a little lost. I won't. I mean, I went through a little bit of a, a funk. I won't. I won't. Sorry, depression. Maybe almost like a morning of feeling a loss of something that I loved. You know, almost like you know, I want to equate to losing a parent, but it, it definitely went through a phase, and it got to me more than I thought. And you know, to the point where my wife had to have some little sidebars with me of, "Am I okay?" And of course, you know, you're always we're always okay, right? We're always okay. Um, it, it it hit me. Um, more than I expected to hit me, but I can tell you this, you know, I have no regrets. I left at the right time. I have no regrets. I, if I had to do it over, I would have done it the same way. But what you don't understand is, is yeah, you get to spend some time with your family and and you're not required to go into work anymore and you, and you get, you get paid for that, which is good, but we're adrenaline junkies. We're dogs, man. We're, we're built for this shit. And that adrenaline of the of of a job is gone. Like just the rush of putting that turn coat on with your name on the back and your organization's name and jumping on that rig and seeing the smoke coming. Whether you, you just you're not you'll never experience that sense of adrenaline, that sense of of brotherhood. It, it just is gone. It's just the tones go off now. But when you retire, the tones don't go off anymore. No one calls. And I don't mean phone calls, you know, I still hang out with you guys and shit, yeah, you know what I'm no, saying? I know what it, you're saying, just, man. No more, no more 2 a.m. lift assist. You know, I, I can't tell you. Every time I see a fire truck, whether it's in our organization or any others, it's, it's just, it gives me a heavy heart. You know, I'm super blessed. I got to live my dream for 30 years, 30 plus years. Not a lot of people, I think, can say that. Um, I learned a lot about myself. I think I didn't try to leave a legacy that was not important to me. I kind of feel like I did leave a, a, a bit of a legacy after my last day. Just yeah, a better one, kinda. Yeah, you know the people who reached out to me and, and to this day, you know, I got two, three or firemen calling me to go play golf or you know calling me to go have beer. And you know, retirement's great, but I miss it. I miss it. I won't lie, I miss it every day. There's things of it I don't miss, but I mostly miss it. And it, it just, I'll beware when you hang it up. It's not as easy as you think because we are alpha dogs and we were built for this shit and and you're just not going to get that anymore. So if you had to tell a new guy something, enjoy every fucking day of it because I went from baby Baker in 1990 to civilian Scott in 32 <laughs> years and where did the time go, man? Where did the time go? Blink when I I got regrets, man. I I, I can say I could say I have no I have no regrets in my career. I wish I would have done things differently sometimes. I wish something better. I wish I had the resources today when I was a firefighter of these kind of podcasts and these kind of conversations. And I wish I could have pulled up a YouTube of a structure fire or of a firefighter down, of a ventilation. You know, I, I, I can't tell you. My, my heart and my bucket is full. I would tell them to enjoy every goddamn day of it and to do something for yourself. Do something to better your organization. Leave with a sense that you made a difference, okay? Because we can all say, yeah, we save lives and shit. You know, people ask me what was my worst call. I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I, 
I got some in mind, but do I really want to talk about them? No, I don't know what my worst call is. I know your best one. <laughs> yeah. Ah. Anyway, it, yeah, it's uh, when it's gone, it's gone. Um, be blessed. Be engaged. Um, make your kids, make your make your parents proud. You know, so so when you retire and you move on to it and you miss it like I miss it, somebody says, "Oh, you know that guy." You know, there's this guy that worked here, Michael Horton, and, and that guy transcend this place. You know, not everyone's built, not everyone's going to be a chief, not everyone's going to be a captain, not everybody's going to be a driver, but you can still leave your mark. You know, we talk about Mitch Soule, we talk about Mike McCracken, we talk about Stacey Giomi, we talk about Mike Arkell. Jim White. Yeah. Jim White, you know, retired. Lance Karras, you know, Mike Santos, Jim Quilsey. I mean, I go on, Ed, Ed Young, Phil Hernandez. I mean, I go on and on and on. Like, you know, forget more than they've... It's, yeah, I'm speechless sometimes. It's like, you don't have to be an officer to leave a legacy. You know, do the job, enjoy it, take care of your brothers, man, but mostly enjoy the shit, man, because you are one of the select few in this country that's blessed enough to call yourself a professional firefighter. And it goes quick, man. It goes quick. I'm I'm starting to feel the crunch a little bit, so uh, I can definitely attest to that. We're about one thirty in, boys. Well, Scott, <clears throat> to touch on that, and that I can I can hear the emotion in your voice, and obviously, you know, we're tight, and we've had this discussion before. There is no doubt that you have left a legacy behind that will never ever be erased. But it makes me think when I look at you and I think about that, and I think about how impactful that is when. As a newer guy or as a guy who's going through the motions right now or you're in the job, think about when you do walk away listening to Scott talk and hearing how emotionally invested he was in this profession. What if you were one of the guys who walked away and disappeared and were erased from the history books the second the door closed behind you? And there are more, unfortunately, more guys like that than there are guys like you who walk out the door and are forgotten the moment that their car fires up and that they pull out of the parking lot. So it's on you as a firefighter, as a driver operator, as a company officer, as a battalion chief, it's on you to leave your legacy behind and listen to the words that Scott Baker has to say. If you don't do that, you'll walk away with regret. You will walk away with regret. Yeah. Well, I can say this um, personally and, you know, organizationally, uh, you left your mark, man. You you definitely left your mark on me and uh, in more ways than one, brother. <laughs> and I've loved every minute of it. I cannot thank you enough for everything that you've given me in my life and my career and as a friend, as a mentor, as a, somebody to look up to, man. So I just... I appreciate you coming on and talking to us today, taking some time out of your golf sessions and, or pickleball or whatever the fuck you got. Yeah, yeah we didn't even talk about your new yeah. professional career as a pickleball. Yeah, I, had to, I had to not show up shout on the course today. To, shout out to Ethel and Edith. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See you girls in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. So, Scott, I love you, man. Thank you very much, brother. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. And, you know, thank you for you guys for pushing this, the, the legacy of fire departments and the industry standards forward. I mean, I, I truly appreciate you guys, and I'm always here for any of y'all. So I love you guys, and thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Thanks, Scotty. Talk to you soon, brother. You should be a monster. <laughs>